Hi, this is Braden Holpe. Hey, this is Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer. Hi, this is Brian Burke from Toronto, Ontario. This is Daryl Sutter. Hello, everyone. I'm Carly Agro from Sportsnet Central. This is Jay Onright. This is Quick Dick Quick Dick coming to you from Tufnell, Saskatchewan. Hey, everybody. My name is Theo Fleury. This is Kelly Rudy. This is Corey Cross. This is Wade Redden. This is Jordan Tutu. My name is Jim Patterson. Hey, it's Ron McLean, Hockey Net in Canada and Rogers Hometown Hockey, and welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Hope everybody is staying warm. Happy hump day. We got a great one on tap for you today, another SMP Archives. Uh, before we get there, let's get to today's episode sponsors, Jen Gilbert and team for over 40 years since 1976. The dedicated realtors of Coldwell Bank or Cityside Realty have served Lidminster and the surrounding area. Did you know when it comes to rental properties, they are the biggest licensed residential property management company in the city of Lloydminster. They deal with over 250 rental units. We're talking houses, apartments, and condos, direct deposit. So all you got to do is grab that house, grab that rental property, go talk to them, and they'll take care of everything for you. On the other side, they also offer housing uh, options for people who are looking for month-to-month tenancies. So give them a call. That's Coldwell Banker, Cityside Realty, for everything real estate, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 780-875-3343. Jim Spenrath and team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen. Uh, they supply the podcast studio with uh, beverages. I was having a little Ribstone Creek uh, a couple podcasts ago, but they got Fourth Meridian on tap. They got they got a great selection, and you can get growlers filled right at the restaurant. Now, on the flip side, uh, they helped the Kinsmen and Kinets do their Telemiracle Steak Dinner a few weekends ago, and uh, this past weekend for Valentine's Day, um, Mel and I ordered in, and uh, we called. And they delivered. It was pretty pretty slick. So if you want to reserve a table or maybe get them to deliver you supper one of these nights, 780-874-7625. Crude Master Transport. We all know Heath and Tracy of the Crude Master Final Five segment on 85% of the, the episodes. Um, but they're uh, 2006. Since 2006, they've been an integral part of our community. Uh, I always talk about all the initiatives, all the community uh, initiatives that Heath and Tracy are a part of, whether we're going back to the Health Foundation, the podcast. Uh, it just seems like any time there is an opportunity to donate money and help the community, that is what uh, Heath and Tracy are all about. Heath, of course, was on an episode about two weeks ago. You can hear all about uh, Crude Master. HSI Group, they are the local oil field burners and combustion experts that can help make sure you have a compliant system working for you. The team also offers security surveillance and automation products for residential, commercial, livestock, and agricultural applications. I bet in that minus 48 wind chill you were wishing, or maybe you were certainly happy that you had your camera set up by HSI Group because it was friggin' brutal. It's sad when minus 20 outside and you're like, geez, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's only minus 20. Well, these guys, they use technology to give you peace of mind so you can focus on the things that truly matter and uh, not to mention they can keep you out of that that freaking gold. Uh, stop in today, 3902 52nd Street, or give Brody or Kim a call at 306-825-6310. Keep a concrete since 1979. That wonderful year the Edmonton Oilers came into the NHL. Keep a concrete uh, was formed. Uh, they have a fa- uh, been a family-owned and operated business that is almost 42 years now business in the area, and they offer all concrete services from residential, decorative, and commercial flat work. Uh, I brought up last time the new countertops at Elk Ridge Resort to the new patio at Spiro's Restaurant. If you hop on their Instagram and check out Kiva Concrete, 
you can see all their latest projects and the great work they're doing. Give Mr. Chris a call today, 780-875-7678. If you're in any of these businesses, make sure you let them know you heard about them on the podcast. Let them know you're listening. All right. Now let's get on to that T-Bar 1 tale of the tape. Born in October 1943, he grew up on a farm near North Bend. Community member, farmer, volunteer, and family man. I'm talking about Tom Hoffam. So buckle up. Here we go. Okay, well let's start here. It is July 12th. We are sitting out at uh, the Frenchman Butte Museum outside, so if you hear the background noise... You got a nice waterfall going. We got a nice little breeze cruising around. We got birds flying, humming birds. My grandma would love it here. Uh, I'm sitting with Tom Hoffam, so thank you for uh, taking the time to sit down uh, for a little chat. Well, my pleasure indeed. I'm sure we'll have a great chat. Well, you were just talking about uh, the museum. Now, I was asking your kids before we got going, Why? Uh, how long have you been at the museum um, working here? Well, we're getting on close to 10 years now. Uh, we started out, uh, you know, just volunteering a little bit. But uh, as time goes on, you uh, take on more responsibilities. And I don't know, I think the last four or five years I've been president of the organization. So it takes a lot more responsibility. And, uh, you know, a lot of, we do a lot of work here. You certainly do. You have a beautiful, beautiful spot. I, I'm saying on the way out here, I, I probably haven't been here since like grade four or five in Hillmond back in the day. It's been a long time, and it has, uh, it hasn't changed much. I mean, in the sense that things aren't falling apart, they actually look extremely good. So that's kudos to you and everyone else who's come before you. Yeah, we've we've actually had a, a wonderful bunch of volunteers, and it takes a lot of volunteers do this work and we we're talking about school tours it takes about 16 volunteers for every day we have a school tour and how many how many days do you have school tours how many schools come through here in a year uh, we do uh, the month of June we have two days uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays and uh, it will take about 60 to 70 uh, children in that length of time it, it, like in that day are those fun days? Challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's uh, in particular there's there's kids, you know, there's all kinds of kids, but some that you know really want to learn what's going on, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to them and uh, and they ask you questions. And of course, there's the ones that like to goof off and don't care, and and well, we just accept it for what it is. But we try to leave them with, uh, you know, how things were done in the old days. When kids come through, when teachers come through, what's maybe the, one of the things that sticks out the most uh, to the younger generation that was done in the past? Boy, that's a tough one. They, uh, well, I guess so much work done by hand. Uh, you know, there's... Take a uh, like the old washing machine, uh, the old scrub board. Uh, you know, uh, had to hand wash a lot of stuff. 
and compared to how they do it now, they throw it in the automatic washer and dryer, and they come and go. And but like it was a big, big day's work, you know, to make do the washing, and they had to you know churn butter and all those sort of things. And I think the kids realize, or we try to help them realize how much work the uh, older generation, the pioneer generation, had to do. Do you? Uh do you miss those days at all? I mean, back when you were a kid and things were a little more um, manual labor-ish? Well, you see, you go back, we didn't know the other way to do it like we do now. And if we had to do things now like we did in the old days, well, we would uh, be pretty upset with the world. But we, we, didn't, we didn't have those conveniences. So... Uh, you know, the way to load the old wagon or the, the rack with straw was the pitchfork. And, uh, you know, we didn't know any other, we didn't have any other method to do it. Take the team of horses and go to the straw pile that was thrashed there in the, you know, in the 50s or whenever we did it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was brutal work, but we didn't know any different. Well, you were born in 43, correct? Yes. Do uh, Did your parents ever talk to you about the time? I mean, that's right in the middle of the war years. Did they ever discuss when you were born, if times were tough? Do you remember anything about your early childhood years uh, in the late 40s or your first memory? Well, I'd have to really dig into that. <laughs> <laughs> first memories, well... They, uh, I guess, going to the old country school, and we uh, we took our saddle horses to school. Uh, we never thought we were hard done by, you know. We always had uh, lots to eat. We had uh, mother and dad had a big garden, and we had our own cattle, and everybody uh, had some milk cows and a ship cream and dad raised a lot of hogs and uh, they were referred to as mortgage lifters. They always had a few dollars for groceries when you had pigs to sell. You know, those, uh, those kind of things. Pig, pigs were referred to as mortgage lifters. Correct. Now, to explain that to you, you had some money to pay off your debts when you had some pigs around. Because they'd always sell. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and and sell at different times of the year. Like you'd be selling them year-round, versus say with cattle, you'd sell oh in the fall when the calves were weaned, or later on when the you know as yearlings or fat cattle. And all the animals you just listed off, you know, you just think of today. You need a jug of milk, you go to the grocery store. You need some bacon, you go to the grocery store. You need some chicken, you go to the grocery store. Back then you would have done and had almost been self-sufficient on the farm. Pretty well. Yeah, we uh, we raised all those things, hogs, chickens at one time, but we weren't big on chickens. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, chickens and, well, and, and hogs uh, really didn't mix too, much, too well, kind of disease and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, TB and chickens would... would uh, the hogs could get that, so we stayed away from the, the chicken end of it, kind of. Did you ever have a, 
uh, did you ever have that go through then? Not that I know of. We just, that was a good excuse not to raise chickens. <laughs> Dad and always, we played that good too. Dad always talked about uh, pigs killing chickens. Well, uh, I guess they would if they had a chance. You know, chicken run loose through the hog barn, they would get. They'd get it. Yep, yeah, get lapped up. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But, you know, it, it, when you talk about having all these animals on the farm, you know, on a Sunday morning, uh, mom planted chicken dinner while you ran out and you lopped the head off a chicken and you had fresh chicken. And I guess some of the fondest memories were the uh, uh, making ice cream, uh, you go out to the ice house and dig up some ice and get the old ice cream freezer and make ice cream. And uh, Mom would make her famous apple pie. Yeah, it was, uh, we live <coughs> we live good. Yeah. Ice house? Ice house. Explain that. Yeah. Okay, it was a little building and they had a hole dug under it. In the wintertime, they would... Uh, harvest ice out of the river or lakes and put down that hole with sawdust wrapped around it or, you know, amongst it. And it would stay all next summer. It wouldn't melt. And you could uh, shovel a little sawdust off the ice and bring up a chunk of ice and use it in your ice cream freezer. And they, uh, there was ice boxes in the old days to keep uh, your milk and eggs and stuff like that uh, cool it uh, it helped uh, you know uh, preserve your milk and eggs so everybody had a nice box everybody put up ice another chore <laughs> you uh, do you remember going down to the river then to harvest ice yes was that hard work yes well it, you know, those blocks of ice, uh, well, say, two feet square, you get a pail of water, you know, think about a pail of water and how heavy that would be to fill that two feet square. That's what you're lifting. Have a couple of ice hooks, chop it out, and pull reefer up? Yeah, there was a ice tongs, a, a kind of a big plier-like thing with handles on it, and you got it and squeeze it together and lifted it up. But, you know, everybody's a little more physically fit then than we are now. Well, we were saying before we got on here that good times create soft men because well, we aren't doing anything like that. See, we, we didn't know any better. That's what we did, you know. Can you imagine kids going down to get ice blocks right now? Well, you'd be scared to send them down to the river because that, you know, you're digging it out of uh, the river and there's no ice where you're pulling that ice out. So the kids would fall in. You had to be very careful you didn't slip into the... What did, what did you... Were your parents um, warn you about the river as young kids? Oh, yeah. We, we were scared to death of water because mother... Uh, made sure that we respected that, didn't want us going anywhere near it. And uh, to this day, I don't like water. Uh, there was 
neighbors that actually drowned, a uh, neighbor's boy that drowned in the river. And we were very careful not to go around near the river, you know, play at, at the river. Although our land was right up against the river, and, and as a youngster growing up, we rode horses and gathered cattle along the river and that. And cattle, horses watered at the river, but we were very careful. I, uh, this summer in particular, there's been a lot of kids and people uh, around bodies of water, not just the river, but have uh, drowned or gone missing. And uh, it's been a higher water table than normal. Living alongside the river, I assume you've seen some very high and some very low times. Uh, very much so. Okay, our dad talked about... Uh, 1918 flood and in his uh, older uh, years we went down to the river with him and he said boys you know the river was up right to here and he pointed to place and uh, you know after 50 or 60 years we thought he was <laughs> <you> lying <laughs> thought maybe he'd forgotten about this a little bit but sure enough, I think, uh, oh, I forget the exact year it was, the water came within inches of where he said it was. And how, how high would that be for the listener? Like, uh, how, could you explain it maybe to the people listening, how high you're talking about? Well, you'll notice uh, what we call the floodplains along the river, the, the uh, level little strip of land just before the, the main bank. And that floodplain had water on it. It covered those floodplains. It covered the floodplain. Yeah. The river would be, oh, in some places a half a mile wide. And uh, junk going down at trees and stuff going down at a, a real fast clip. I'd read in a book that the river has actually dried up before. Did your father or anyone ever speak of that? Well, I've heard the, the tale, but uh, I would question that. It, it would have had to have been long before the turn of the, you know, the 1900s, I would say. But then there's going to be somebody who will say, no, it happened. But I, I've never... In your days, what's yeah. the lowest the river's ever got? Well, the lowest. Well, our old ferry crossing here, uh, and it was probably the best one on the river, uh, it got low enough so the uh, current boards would catch on a, on a rock bar uh, in the river. It was about oh, two feet of water over that rock bar. What uh, ferry crossing are you talking about? This was... Uh, the Frenchman Butte. The Frenchman Butte Crossing? Yes, and that and it changed its name. It was the North Bend Crossing and the Frenchman Butte Crossing. And at one time it was called Yankee Bend Crossing. Why did they keep changing the name? Well, you know, it's just, uh, well, the, the town of Frenchman Butte come in. So it, that was the closest town to the, the ferry crossing. So I guess that's why. Growing up, going to school, you you mentioned uh, a one-room schoolhouse, uh, riding horses to it. Um, your high school, you came across the river. Yes, I did. And you rode the ferry every day? 
Yeah, I, I rode my horse uh, to high school, and I had to cross on the ferry every day. Now, back then, what was the ferry? Was it a wood? Was it steel? Was it? That was wood. Uh, they had a steel ferry later on in the uh, late 60s. A steel ferry come in. And was it just the same old guy down there operating it? Well, for a good many years, uh, yes, the Sidwell family uh, run it and uh, the Maurer family. Uh, they had 12-hour shifts and they traded off. And then when the Sidwell family retired, then there was some other that uh, took their place. But then the, I think the last year the ferry was in, it was in... 1969, and that uh, the the bridge uh, they took the, the ferries out and, the, and the, put in the bridges. The, the Deer Creek Bridge would come into play then. Do you let, do you miss having the ferry? Not well. Sometimes, no. The thing of it is, uh, you had to wait for that. It was never on the side when you went down. <laughs> to cross <laughs> it was never on your side well it was at times but it seemed like you had to wait and i guess it was a, a 10 or 15 minute wait for it to go over and back what was it uh, did it have a little engine then that ran it to pull it back and forth back N then no it was all current driven current driven yeah the they would um had a wheel on the ferry that uh, changed the angle and they'd angle the ferry, and uh, the current would push against it and shove it across. And vice versa, when they go on and come the other way, they change it back. So it come the other way. And in the fall of the year, when the, the water was low and you had an upstream wind, the wind would push the ferry up and it wouldn't operate. So they had to put a winding cable on that uh, that was the hand job. You turn the crank on the winding cable to, to get it to cross. <laughs> but you know, that's one of the things you, you jumped out of your car or off your horse. Yeah, and away you went. And, and, and you cranked on that thing because you wanted to get across too. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever take cattle across it? Yes. And that was a challenge. Now, I guess the best example on how you would describe that is if you took a stock trailer out in the middle of the field and tried to load a cow in it, that's basically what we're doing on the ferry with a <laughs> with a herd of cattle. Uh, we did in uh, in the springtime. We put uh, fences so we could kind of guide them in. Yeah, run them in. But in the fall of the year, we just chased them on uh, just the open ferry because they were ready to go home. Yeah. Did you have any jump off in that time? Occasionally. Yeah, the, we've seen it where calves get pushed off, and they actually gone underneath. You could hear them going under, rolling. They come out and blow water out their nose and swim to shore. They're amazing swimmers. In the fall of the year when the ferry or the water was low, a cow could swim across as fast as the ferry would go. I don't look at me like I've done a story because <laughs> I, I've seen it. 
she would swim a little ways and they'd hit that rock bar and she'd come up a little bit and go a little faster and then jump in the river again and keep going. Her and the, she just landed down river a little further than the main Than the rest of them, yeah. 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 How about uh, wildlife on the river? Uh, they love to follow the, wa- the body of water, moving water. They have different animals. In your, over your lifespan, I'm sure you've seen a few things. Yeah, uh, the deer uh, was, that was no uh, hindrance for a deer to cross. They'd walk down and, and for some, any reason, uh, they would cross. And they say that uh, the hair on the, like, deer or moose is hollow. Yeah. And they float. Help, helps them float. Yeah. yeah. Powerful swimmers. How about uh, cougars, bears, um, anything of that size? You, you quite often uh, saw, while not so much uh, uh, back in the you know earlier times, because the the farmers kept them pretty well shot off, but now you see uh, quite a few bear along the river. I've never seen a cougar along the river, but uh, th- they are there. But I. You know, I can't say as I saw one. When you were crossing the river on the ferry uh, heading to high school, um, you graduated? Yes. And what was, you know, we just came through, um, we're in the middle of COVID, and so uh, graduation is very interesting this year for kids. When you graduated, what was your graduation like? Well, we never had any so-called graduation parties. Uh, we did meet at the lake one time. Uh, you know, it was sort of a casual party. But uh, the old um, principal told me he didn't think I was going to make it. So he, I was supposed to, to party too hard. And lo and behold, I skinned through. and So yeah, I graduated and not much of a party, but uh, and then I went on to uh, School of Agriculture. I took a winter School of Agriculture. What did you think of moving to Vermilion? Yeah, it was a good way to spend the winter. Did you live in the dorms there? Yep. Yeah, you were uh, locked up. You had one free weekend before Christmas and one free weekend after. You mean you went to school every day? No, no. But uh, on the weekends, you still had to stay there. You weren't allowed to leave? Yes, you weren't allowed to leave. Really? Really. What would happen if you left? Probably had to stay away. <laughs> really? No, that was part of the rules. That was no big deal, because there's lots of guys there in the same boat. That's inter- I wonder when they changed that. Because, I mean, now, pretty much free reign. You pick yeah. up and leave whenever you want. Well, it was the old... Uh, DSA, Vermilion School of Agriculture, and that's one of their rules. And then when they went into kind of a college or whatever, the, you know, regional college, that's when all the rules changed. When you look at back at your time uh, in Vermilion, is there anything that sticks out, a memorable moment, a uh, lesson learned, anything like that, a party time? The best, <laughs> and we all remember this, uh, the dean at the college was kind of a, well, he, 
he had to teach uh, a few guys a lesson. They they were partying, and he kicked some guys out right towards the end of uh, you know their season. So we didn't think that was fair. So the the whole boys' dorm uh, hauled him down to the sheep barn, and we dumped him in the sheep trough. Hauled the dean of the school down? Yes, because we figured if we all did it, he'd have to kick us all out. And uh, <laughs> safety in numbers. <laughs> and I got an old friend, uh, Ken Graham, that'll vouch for this story. And he said, <laughs> there was about so much ice on the sheep trough when we dumped him in. <laughs> yeah, I can remember that. Did he talk to any after that? Uh, he was very uh, nice to us all. Did he reinstate the two? Oh, no, he couldn't do it. He didn't do anything. Well, he couldn't do anything to us, really. Oh, wow. There you go. There you go. Safety in numbers. In your early years, did you play any sports? Uh, not so much. Uh, when the uh, curling rink first came in to Frenchman Butte, and, uh, you know, that we were in our teen years, and uh, I picked up the... Uh, curling I did that was kind of a gentleman's sport and uh, I enjoyed the game and was fairly successful at it do you still curl no did you curl for a while yes uh, until about 1972 I uh, actually uh, my team uh, competed in the northern Saskatchewan Briar playoffs which we were pretty proud of getting that far what was the first car you ever had? First car. It was a, a 76 uh, a Mercury. 76 Mercury? Yeah. You're going to buy me a Mercury and cruise it up and down the road? Oh, that was a nice car. Well, you know, because uh, we lived in the same yard as dad and mom. They had a car and wife and I could most of the time use that when they had to so you know there is not a lot of money to spend on you know vehicles on that so we made do with you know mom and dad's car and we traded off driving it then when we could afford to buy our own car we, we did but we we saved and built our house first and those kind of things speaking of your wife when did you meet her when did I meet her? No, I, uh, we were married in 68, so, uh, well, I, I met her uh, through another old girlfriend. <laughs> 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 Thank God I didn't end up with her, uh, but uh, yes, uh, this, uh, this was a good occasion when I met Marilyn. Do you remember your first date? Yeah. Do I need to go in again? <laughs> I don't know. Do you care to share? No, uh, uh, she was at a dance that I was at in the fine little hamlet of Hillmond. And, uh, yeah, she was with some other people. Well, her cousins. And so I moved right in. <laughs> the great mover I have, eh? Anyway, yeah, this is, that's uh, 
we uh, I took her home from the dance, and that's uh, uh, everything went smooth after that. How long was it until you asked her to marry? You? Wasn't long. Uh, what would it be? About a year and a half or so. Uh, where did you get married? And married in Lloyd, Lloyd Minster. Uh, where in Lloyd? United Church. And did you have a big festivity afterwards? Yeah, we, you know, that was the thing about it. Uh, well, I needed to get this woman married off <laughs> because <laughs> mom and dad were heading to California, uh, and this was right after Christmas, so I needed to cook real bad. So we got married on the 6th of January, and it was 50 below. 6th of January minus 50. What did she think of that? Oh, we uh, we stayed warm that night. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, uh, uh, well, we went uh, into Lloyd to uh, get decorate the car, and uh, uh, my friends uh, were the best men. And we went in dressed in our coveralls and sweater and big boots to do all this you know, getting the car ready. And we went into a restaurant and told the waitress in there that we were in a hurry, we are getting married. <laughs> and we were in our farm coveralls. <laughs> Did she give you a strange look then? Oh, yeah, but we, we got the job done. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take a honeymoon? Oh, a short one, about a week. Where'd you go? Into the mountains. Drive uh, then? Uh, yep. Went to Banff and Jasper and then stopped at my sister's in Hinton and and then back home. It wasn't very long. How how was Banff and Jasper back then compared to now? Well, it was was slow. Uh, You know, there wasn't many people. You know. What did you do when you were in Banff? Just go for hikes? Just, no, just hung out. Yeah. Saw the scenery, that about, that's about it. Going back to when you were a kid, did you? I, th- I think you guys had a hired man when you were growing up. Yeah, there was one there pretty well all the time. All the time? Yeah. When you were in harvest season or doing hay, uh, could we talk a little bit about that? I'd read in your family history, and I think it was your, either your dad's maybe or earlier than that, about having um, people from Onion Lake coming to ha- help and camping on the, the hills and and having a whole group of people just hammering away. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, we had an all-native uh, thrashing crew all the time, it was as long as I can remember. And the old fellow that uh, was there for years, Dad would uh, get in contact with him and said, well, we're about ready to start thrashing. He would get a, a bunch of, of boys together and bring them down. And yeah, and they they camped in tents and they they uh, that's where they stayed. They they ate at our house, uh, breakfast, noon, and lunch, and then supper. So mom was busy cooking meals for them. And then they just stay until the job was done. So they stay for most of the time, yes. Uh, unless you got a rain, and then they they left. But uh, 
they were more reliable than what they are now. They they come with quite a, you know, the, that was good money for them. What uh, speaking of money, how much would that cost your dad to have a crew come in, and or did you ever talk to him about it? There was a, probably about a dollar an hour they paid at that time, which is probably his top wage for farm labor at that time. What uh, what was your first job? Did you stay on the farm at all times, or did you go experience something different for you know your early years? No, I was on the farm all the time. Never worked out at all. And uh, we never we never got paid as such, but we always had uh, we were able to keep our own livestock. Uh, when we start doing chores at uh, you know at, at a, a level where we'd replace the hired man, we were given uh, a, a heifer or something like that, and we that grew into a herd of cows, and we had a peg or two between us and uh, we we got uh, the money for that so yeah we never actually had to borrow money from dad to go to town to you know if we wanted to go out to a dance or a movie or something we always had our own spending money what was uh what was one of the first movies you used to go to or wanted to go to couldn't tell you couldn't tell you no I heard there was, I was talking uh, George Mann on one of these a uh, couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about a, uh, what did they call it? There was a cowboy, there was two movie theaters in Lloyd, and one of them showed cowboy pictures. Do you remember that? I remember the two uh, theaters, but we lived quite a ways out of town, so we didn't, uh, didn't frequent it very often. How long of a trip would it would have been to get to Lloyd to watch a movie then? Well, it was about an hour at least an hour to drive to town at that time. And uh, the roads were so unreliable that uh, uh, you didn't always follow the road lounge to get there. You'd run through a pasture or something like that. Really? How, uh, when you talk about unreliable, you're talking snow, mud, rain, yeah, everything? all three. So if the weather was bad, you're best just to stay at home. Right. Wintertime, uh, very seldom went anywhere except over here to the butte and a lot of times that was on saddle horse or little ponies on a cutter or something like that now you mentioned going cross country to get off the road to wherever you got to get to do you remember times or is there a time that sticks out when you're like well i guess we're going through the hills well basically yes (laughs) (laughs) that happened all the time well not all the time because you're careful when you left home when when was the time that you're like man the roads are way better and you could actually rely on them do you remember that time like when you know i was saying on the way out here it's like holy man the roads were they're they're doing construction right now on the highway or the road coming out to frenchman butte and if you didn't have a, a pickup truck i'm not sure you'd get through it um when was the time and that i guess is unusual for me because now even when they're doing road construction usually they got you know, a lane paved for you and you got nothing to worry about. When you were growing up, when was the time, or do you remember maybe an instance where all of a sudden you went, you know what, we can rely on the road in winter time or in the middle of a rainstorm because the roads have gotten so good? Not that many years ago. Uh, they uh, built the number three highway uh, from Elk Curve to uh, the present uh crossing at 
uh, Deer Creek Crossing at, on the river here. And that was, uh, that opened up uh, our part of the country. They did, they did build a grid through Green Street and then that way too. And that was in, uh, oh, late 50s or uh, early 60s. And, and that was pretty well a, an all-weather road. But uh, there was a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you just knew you could, they weren't passable, so you didn't go. And nobody had a four-wheel drive then. It was all two-wheel drive and not, not that much of a mud truck. And not to mention no cell phone, so if you got stuck out in the middle of some storm, what would you do? Well, you didn't go out in the middle of the storm if you're smart. No, it, uh, if you got stuck out there, it was uh, uh, on foot. You'd be, uh, if you wanted to walk, well, that was it. Or Most people had a good shovel, and they shoveled a lot, a lot of snow to get out. Growing up as kids, well, and mom and dad still have a, a grain shovel. Pack it in the vehicle at all times for shoveling out in case you hit the ditch in the snow. And grandma was religious with that as well. Yeah, you had to make sure you had your shovel with you. Nobody else was coming to get you. Nobody else was coming to get you. And if you had the half-ton truck, uh, you shovel the snow in the back for a little more weight. <laughs> a little more weight. <laughs> <laughs> you could get further into the snowbag before you got stuck. Yeah, the greatest thing for us was a, a good four-wheel drive. And we didn't get one until... Well, late 70s, I guess. And that was something. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, had a great time going through mud with it, snow. How many years have you been married now? Well, it's uh, 50 years, 52 years and seven months. 52 years and seven months? Yeah. How have you made a marriage work for 52 years? <laughs> well... It, well, it, it, I had the right partner, you know, a, a wonderful partner, very supportive of everything I did. And uh, you got to have respect for one another. You know, when they say enough's enough, well, it is enough. You quit. You know, you got to grow up. Yeah. 52 years is pretty... Uh Special. That's uh, something that just doesn't happen every day. Well, uh, yeah, you, like you've got to have the health to stay, you know, living for 52 years. And you got to have some understanding about people to uh, be able to live with them. And, uh, you know, you gotta be a, uh, you got to be understanding with your wife and her with me. And we've never had any real major arguments that I can remember. <laughs> How about kids? You had two. Yep. Have two. Shouldn't say had two. You have two. Um, what did parenthood teach you? Oh, what is that? Oh, patience. You know, and... Uh, well, we were busy when the kids were growing up, and uh, 
Marilyn had a great, uh, she had more to do with raising the kids than I did. But as time went on, you know, uh, she took him to the to the figure skating lessons and the music lessons and that. And uh, then we actually could enjoy what they did afterwards. I guess the, th the thing about our, our son was quite musical and he's gone on to, uh, he's got his doctorate in music. You know, we're proud of that uh, accomplishment. Our daughter Heather has got a, a a good life, good a good farm. She got two wonderful boys, a couple of good good grandsons that we get a lot of enjoyment out of. So yeah, you have to. You know, it's it, it was fun watching those kids grow up and and what they're doing now. When your son goes to New York City, did you go visit that? We did. There? Yeah, we did. He met us at the airport the first time down. It was a good thing he did. <laughs> we had turned around and gone home. <laughs> what did you... Oh, I didn't like New York to start with. I mean... But now we just uh, it's a wonderful place to visit. So you've gone multiple times then, obviously. He, yes. And, of course, he, he was there and he knew the place and he knew all the high spots to show us. What was one of the biggest... No, maybe not biggest. What's well, one of the coming from here and then going to New York City? What's maybe one of the biggest things that just stuck out to you that you couldn't believe when you got there? Well, I suppose if I had a day or two to think about it, I could. But you know, it, there's just a lot of a lot of people, and the way the the city's so crowded. Uh, there's on downtown New York, there's shops at the bottom of all those high-rise buildings, and a lot of the people live above them. Uh, great place to eat, a lot of wonderful restaurants. Uh, actually, uh, the people were friendly. If you needed to ask uh, directions to some place, they were, you know, I was surprised that they how accommodating they were. Yeah, it's uh, what else? I don't know. It's a big change of scenery from where where you currently are. That's for well, sure. Well, scenery is you know looking at the lo the wall, the brick walls. <laughs> you know, it's uh, kind of like going down a, a mountain valley. You just see the walls around you. When your kids were growing up, what was some of the lessons you tried to instill in them? Well, hard work and honesty. And they were, they all, they worked hard at what they did and they were good kids. In your life, what was maybe one of the biggest lessons you learned? Well, I guess... Dad had what they call a sermons in a second. He, he would uh, <laughs> had a way of telling you things that with with not a lot of words, but he meant meant it quite a bit. And uh, if something's worth taking, it's worth asking for. You know, it's, 
there's a lot of thought can go in with that. Uh, and his advice about court, and he said, well, faint heart never won fair lady. <laughs> you know, those kind of things. Hey, that's very true, isn't it? Yeah. Was he the biggest influence on your life, you think, then, your father? Yes. Probably. No, all the, all the time growing up, you, uh, uh, I, I didn't give it much thought, but yes, uh, he let, he gave us uh, a great example to live by. Currently, uh, I've mentioned it once before. We're going through this COVID lockdown pandemic. In your lifetime, you ever seen anything like this before? No. And what's your thoughts on it then? You're you got many a year on me and seen many a thing. Well, there's many a epidemic that's gone through. Uh, the old timers talked about the uh, 1919 flu, and then there was uh, oh several other different flus recently. The N1 flu and that. Nothing has shut down the country like this flu has and uh, there was when we came home from holidays in end of February they were still letting play loads of Chinese come into the country where China was the hot spot for it and that they should have been shut down there shouldn't have been that plane loads of people coming in I think that would have helped a lot Plus the fact that uh, we're not we're not going to see the end of this. Uh, nobody can say when it's going to end. There's, you know, as we talk, there's more cases coming on all the time. But uh, you know, if you're not in, you don't go into big crowds. I think that's a safe way to be. But we can kind of, you know. Uh, live a kind of pretty normal life if we just sort of stay in our own area. How about the riots going on down in all the states and everywhere else? Uh, over your time, have you any seen anything or heard about anything that's remotely resembled this? Well, it, it, every time we hear we've heard uh, lesser riots, but they, they get more severe now. Uh, as time goes on, they uh, people won't, these uh, well, I guess it's the uh, you know the uh, what do I want to say the the uh, minorities seem to want to get more attention. It's in the old days. You know, we just sort of live and let live. You know, you you admire a guy for what he would do, uh, not what he wanted somebody to give him. You know, anybody that worked hard and uh, was always treated as a better citizen than somebody that, uh, you know, had his hand out for stuff. 
want to talk quickly about Lloyd Minster, as it is a Lloyd Minster Archives interview, and I've talked a lot about your life and your uh, lessons learned, um, kids, family, everything. Uh, you were the president of uh, the Ag Society? The Lloyd Exhibition. Yeah, yeah. Lloyd Ag. Uh, what, what brought you to take on a position like that? Well, you know, I just come in as a, a new director. I took my father's place. And uh, you sit around a board meeting and you have ideas and discussions. And I guess it's, you know, people recognize you're making a contribution and figure you'd make a good leader. I've had, uh, uh, over the years, I've been uh, quite a few different organizations, and uh, I don't want to sound like a, I'm bragging about things. <laughs> That's no. I don't, don't want to, but I ended up being the president or whatever, a lot of different organizations. But each, each, um, you belong to each group you belong to you learn a little something on your way by and the old fellas you want to listen close to what they're saying at a meeting and how they person with a, uh, <coughs> a good idea presents it his idea in a kind of a well-spoken way and you can see how he influences the rest of the board and that's kind of what I've tried to uh, uh, base my model on is think about, think hardly about w what the, the problem is they have and, and what the solution is for it. And you'd be surprised how many people, if you have a, a, a good way of, of expressing yourself, how that you can uh, uh, have a lot of influence influence on the board when you go back to your first board you were on then Tom what was the first when you were sitting there listening what was the aha moment what do you remember sitting there listening to a guy and going wow that was incredible or smart or just well the the one thing I really brought to mind is on the exhibition board and listening to uh, ah, this, this is me of names, eh? <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and he very carefully explained his position, and uh, and the boat was taken, and of course it, it went the way he wanted it to, and that was uh, well. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do what he's doing or follow him like so so to emulate him was it preparation was it how you said things was it your word choice was it all of the above well you want to think about what you're going to say and and try to uh get a plan before you start talking and uh it's not easy sometimes to uh be con con uh, coherent to what you want to say. I find that 
really interesting. That's uh, why I stick on it. Because uh, really good leaders can get their ideas across to the simplest of people. They, just, they can make you see what they have envisioned, and they use usually just words to do it. Yes. And then you see this happen a lot of time in town hall meetings. Uh, people that uh, are quite thoughtful of what they say and present it in a uh, you know a decent sort of a way uh, don't get too hostile about things and uh, it seems like cooler heads prevail a lot of times you mustn't get mad at a public meeting hard <laughs> 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 not to sometimes hard not to sometimes yeah. yes yes <laughs> What's the biggest thing you've seen change in Lloyd and area since you were young? Oh, that's very difficult to say because everything has gotten so bigger, faster pace, spend more money. Uh, that's on uh, on these uh, community things. Uh, it costs so much to to run to. Uh, keep things up now like this little museum here uh, we take a uh, we spend a lot of money to keep it keep it going and uh, we have to be very careful how we spend in order to have a strong organization we feel or, and I feel that uh, you have the money before you spend it you don't uh, deficit spend and in a on a, on a deal like this, uh, you'll always have a pretty strong, like we'll have, always have a strong museum if we're careful of our spending. And like on the, the exhibition board, they've uh, gone into debt fairly heavy, and, uh, and that's a millstone around their neck. It stops the growth, and uh, you're... Uh, running the risk of losing a lot of things you put into it. That's going to bring me to politics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't get me started on that. Well, I'm a young guy. And I don't know about every other young guy. Um, but until I had kids, I didn't give too much thought, too much thought to politics. You know, we've lived through... Um, a pretty unbelievable time in my lifespan on, as far as world war world wars go or wars in general um the ability the ease of getting food job you name it the quality of life around my lifespan has been um very good unbelievably good and as time goes on here uh and i have children i start to pay attention to politics more and more and more and it confuses me more and more and more and I wonder over your lifespan you've seen many a politician come through you've seen many uh, crisis XYZ come through is what do you think about the current state of affairs with our politicians well most of them have never had a good farm background where they had to Earn their money, you know. Uh, had a, well, 
Where does money come from? It comes from hard work and good management. Where does government money come from? It comes from us taxpayers, and the more they can snowball us on what they're doing, uh, they run away with uh, their spending, uh, and that's not what we need. It's it's good, thoughtful spending on what's most needed, and it's not necessarily giving it to some interest group that's got a strong lobby and that's been uh, living off the prevails of the, the rest of the country. Is this as bad of you as bad as you've seen it then? Yes. This is the worst I've seen. As years have gone on, has it considerably got worse over time then? Appears to be. Yes. Okay, I have a few more questions and then I'll I'll wrap it up here. These are just easy well, I say easy. I'll put you on the spot here. If you could go back to your twenty year old self and give some advice, what would you impart? What would I impart? Twenty years old. Well, uh, careful spending, and they encouraged us uh, at that time or later on to invest in uh, uh, registered retirement savings plan, and that's uh, their. Now they're taxing away most of the money we saved for, uh, you know, for our retirement. We should have put away a few dollars every year or every month to our own personal retirement plan. The taxes would have been paid on that, and uh, we'd have been better off uh, now than we we are. I'm not complaining about not being well enough off, but that would be a, a very smart move to uh, have your own retirement plan, finance your own retirement plan. You're, uh, what year did you retire? Uh, I guess about, about three years now, three or four years. And instead of retiring to the Bahamas or the coach where you uh sit there with your feet up you are out here every day volunteering yes is that your form of all uh, of retirement then well it's uh it's something to do it keeps your mind active and uh there again we're we're dealing with uh, a lot of personalities we're all volunteers and uh we're trying to make uh well trying to make it a better place. We, that's, I guess, one of the things that I've always tried to do is make uh, where I live a better place. Leave, leave my, it better than you found it. Leave my farm in better shape. Leave the community in better shape. I think that's very good advice for anyone. We got a, a situation here that we're trying to, to cope with, and it's a very easily solved if we just come together and work together and we can we can solve it without a lot of difficulty but you know people if it isn't their idea it's not a good one so we got to sell our ideas and 
and uh, try to make it better. This, this little uh, museum has grown. We can be proud of it. We're rated as one of the best small town museum in the province. And uh, that doesn't come without hard work and careful management. What's the biggest achievement over your lifetime? Two good achievements. I was, uh, my wife and I were honored by the Saskatchewan Hereford Association. We were uh, 2007, I think, no, 2000. Anyway, we're given the uh, the uh, uh, Commercial Breeder Award for the Canadian Hereford Association, or the Saskatchewan Hereford Association. Uh, the premier breeder for Saskatchewan. That was something, you know, you can't buy. It's it's a, a recognition for what we've done. And then I was awarded the uh, Hall of Fame in uh, Woodminster Exhibition. I think it's three years ago now. I'm I hang on the Hall of Fame, which is pretty cool. That's another thing. That's it's a yeah. I'm I'm proud of that. A lot mm. of hard work went in. Uh, it's a combination of the life's work. Yeah, and it it's so nice to be recognized for what we've done. What was it about cattle? Like, why, why cattle? Why not? I don't know. Trees and farming, or trees and farming, trees and and lumber and or steel or. Well, I I, I, I like to work with livestock. We started out, you know, showing with 4-H and all that sort of stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just got buzzed. <laughs> if the audience can hear in the background, that is a hummingbird. We've been getting buzzed by hummingbirds this entire hour, and there's a hummingbird feeder just sitting up above us. And uh, hummingbirds got to be one of the most mesmerizing animals in the world. My grandma used to hang one of those hummingbird feeders outside her front window, and as kids we'd sit and watch them all the time. And they haven't gotten any less mesmerizing as you get older. They're a very um, unbelievable animal. Yes. But sorry, going back to <sighs> cattle. Or livestock. Yeah. No, we were involved with 4-H, and we always like to have quality. So you got to show your cattle and uh, compete to see how you're doing. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we thought we were doing all right. We started out with straight Herefords and then uh, got into crossbreeding. And I'd go to the fall show and... Uh, see these other guys' cattle, and I think, well, I got good enough ones. I, anyway, I brought him to town and showed six years, and uh, I won the champion three years out of the six. Three so, out of the six? Yeah. So I was happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was a, we were on the right track on what we were doing. But it's it's one of those things to well, it's just like a hockey player goes out and scores goals. Well, you know, you're you're a calibrator and you go out and win prizes. It's it's the same thing. 
and enjoyable. Well, I'll give you one final question before I let you go. Is there anything left on your bucket list that you want to do? Not really. I think I've I've done what I set out to. Well, I appreciate you sitting down and and uh, imparting some wisdom and telling some tales from your from your life. Is there anything else you'd like to share on here before I let you go? No, I think we've uh, well, you know. We could cover a few other things, but we've kept it, a, you know, on a pretty good level so far. So well, what are our, a, I'm curious now. No, no, are, no, no, we're not, <laughs> not going to go. No. Okay. Well, I appreciate uh, you sitting here, Tom. It's been uh, very enjoyable. Well, I hope that uh, what we had to say it makes sense. I think it does. Well, thanks. Quite welcome. Hey, folks. Thanks for joining us today. If you just stumbled on the show, please click subscribe. Then scroll to the bottom and rate and leave a review. I promise it helps. Remember, every Monday and Wednesday, we will have a new guest sitting down to share their story. The Sean Newman Podcast is available for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcast fix. Until next time. Hey, Keeners. I uh, I got to give a couple shout-outs today. Uh, first to Dustin Garrett. He said, Jesus, I'm exhausted. It took me two and a half hours to finish from all the pauses to catch my breath and re-listen to a part so I could make sure I was hearing correctly or understanding properly. That was great. Forcing me to broaden my horizons some more. Thanks, ma'am. And then also my buddy from uh, Bow Island, Curtis Clark, said, This was a great listen, Zoomer. It took about two and a half hours for me to get through after I kept pausing to look up people and books. Uh, but he had a big smile on his face. They're talking about Vance Crow. That was the last episode um, where we got into some heavy stuff. I'm super cool uh, guy from St. Louis. Anyways, if you haven't listened to Vance Crow, I suggest you go back and t- take a take a listen. Thanks to those boys for listening. Now uh, to the rest of you, get back to work. We'll see you uh, Monday. And if you're the champ who's on holidays, probably uh, uh, what do you do on holidays, champ? I don't know. You know, you probably got your feet up on the desk somewhere else. I guess you can leave them there today. All right. We'll catch up to you guys Monday, Uh, so everybody stay safe, stay warm, and we'll catch up to you next week.